Welcome to Jackson Film Club Podcast. I'm one half of your host, Sam Grafe. I'm joined today with... This is Michael Lamb. Michael Lamb. Uh, we are here at the Fairview Sound. Uh, for before, as this is our first official episode, I want to give a huge shout out to Brennan White, not only for letting us come and record in his studio and producing for us, he also wrote that killer theme music that you hear before and after every single episode. So yeah, big Brennan, thanks to Brennan over there. Brennan White's a special guy, uh, married to, to... Don't give Jordan. out all of his personal information. Uh, he, he's also... His uh, phone number is 601. <laughs> well, he does work for 601 Studios. That's a perfect segue. Thank you. Everyone knows exactly... It's funny because everyone, we, if we say that we're at the Fairview Sound, people now know exactly where to find us. They know where to find us and they know where to find Brennan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't say yeah. what you're about to say. Well, the thing is, like, most people who know me pretty well know where to find me, which is usually... Your house. The Bean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, on today's episode of The Jackson Film Club Podcast, we are going to be talking about just some new releases, some, both trailers and movies. Uh, Michael and I have seen a couple films together recently, um, and we figured this would be a fun episode to just talk about it, because we... There's especially a couple of these films we've wanted to just naturally talk about out of the theater, but because we now have a podcast, we have coined the phrase, save it for the pod, which uh, in layman's terms just means we'll just talk about it on the podcast because we have a podcast. So I think what we're going to start with is some recently released trailers, and then we're going to move into some movies that have come out recently, which as of recording um, is the last few weeks of October. Yeah, so the first thing I think we have to talk about, obviously, is the Batman. Yeah. There's a new trailer incredible for the, trailer. The, the Batman that was released over the weekend. What did you think about it? I I, I, do, I can't even put into words how excited I am for this movie. So the, the last trailer came out a year ago, and that one blew me away. I was already excited because of the, ca- the cast is crazy. Um, the director directed the last two Planet of the Apes movies, which... Highly underrated. That entire trilogy is amazing. Um, but uh, the movie itself just looks looks so good. It surpasses being a comic book movie. It just looks like an awesome thriller that happens to have Batman in it. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of red. Is a lo- I am so... I just love that they're going hard into like the marketing campaign of just this gritty... Everything's black and red. It's just so awesome. It, visually, it's amazing. As someone who's a hardcore Christopher Nolan fan and Christopher Nolan wannabe, I can confidently say that this is going to be the best Batman movie ever made. Oh, so you think that Robert Pattinson will beat Christian Bale? Uh, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot more nuance to his character. And just everything they've talked about for it is that it's just, he's just simmering with rage. And I, you can see it through the trailer, and through I think that's why there's just blood red everywhere on the posters and everything. All right. Anything else to 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 say there? Well, I want to hear. You, I would like to hear your thoughts first. Oh, well, well, so I am a big fan of the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. I do love Christopher Nolan. I think that he is sometimes a little overrated in American cinema. But, yeah, I, I can agree uh, with that. But his Batman is iconic, and it's going to be very hard to beat. Yeah. And I think that if there's any movie that's going to do it, this is probably going to be the one. So with this trailer, uh, I'm pumped. 
Uh, I'm mostly excited just to see what Robert Pattinson has to bring to the table. Yeah. I, I think what's so great about it is they've, even though there's been a lot of incarnations of Batman, uh, they've somehow found another way to recreate it and make it a new thing. Uh, because initially when it it was talked about a while back when they were in the development stages, it was talked about as a gritty, more realistic Batman, which sounded a lot like the Nolan Batman movies. And I was like, okay, how different can this be? But it, I don't know if you ever played any of the Arkham video games, but it, it goes a lot, it looks a lot more like that, which is, it, that delves more into fantasy. Like it has some more of the fantastical characters from the comics in it, but man, it's just, it looks so good, and it, it everyone has been saying it, but it looks like Seven with Batman. It just looks like a Fincher, like crime thriller. Yeah, it looks pretty dark. I'm so excited. I'm just so glad that it's actually doing something interesting, and I think it'll be a good film, not just a good Batman movie. So I'm unbelievably excited for the Batman. Fun fact, it was supposed to come out in July of this year, and then they pushed it to October of this year. So we've now passed two release dates for the Batman. So if Corona hadn't happened, we would have seen it a long time ago. Well, looking forward to, to the product that we'll get. Yeah, me too. The I think the, the best thing that benefits most creative endeavors is more time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool. You want to move on to... The tragedy of Macbeth. I think you would like to. I, I I'll talk about it, but I've only seen the trailer once. I'm sure you've seen it many more times. You've seen you've seen each trailer once, right? No, There's... no, no. I, well, I've seen the first trailer a bunch because you've made me watch it a few times at various events. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when we saw the last duel, that's when I saw this trailer for the first time. I think the new trailer. The they didn't show the new trailer for the last duel. No, the new trailer. I think I sent you a link to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you sent me a link to it. Yeah, so the I haven't seen the new trailer in theaters. And because this one features a line from Denzel. Uh, he says, whence is that knocking? Whereas the first trailer features uh, only one line, which was, oh, what was it? Uh, Come on, you've seen it By the pricking of my thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something wicked this way comes. But it does have that same, I, I'm curious if you like, played the trailers back to back how it would play because they have the same drum beat and they're both about the same length yeah that same knocking so i'm wondering if like they're going to release another one and then it's going to be like a three-part trailer thing where you just play them back to back to back and it's just like one long trailer that'd be cool that would be something a24 does yeah so the quick reminder there is that this comes out in theaters uh, on christmas day yeah and then i can't remember the exact date but at some point in January, it'll be streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. So the as far as film club events, either we'll do an in-theater event, uh, which would be more expensive but more fun, yeah, or definitely. we'll do some streaming event at somebody's house with Apple TV+, Plus, which would be maybe not as cinematically engaging, but still pretty fun. And probably could have more people. More people would probably show up. Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So either December or January. Be, look, be on the lookout. Yeah. Uh, if it's January, then that means that it's a great movie because you are guaranteed that I, I will be there Multiple on Christmas times. Day. I'll, yeah. <laughs> Michael asked me, hey, yeah, so I, w- I really would love for uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth to be our, our last film club event for the year for December. I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. 
when does it come out? And he was like, oh, Christmas Day. And I was like, oh, sweet. So, like, you thinking we see it, like, later in December? Like, that's kind of cutting it close. He was like, no, like, we'd, we'd see it Christmas Day. And I was like, you know, I have a family, right? People spend time with their families yeah, on I Christmas. I don't have a family, Sam. <laughs> we can get really dark and, and serious right now if you want to oh, talk about kidding. your family. I don't know if my family actually is going to ever listen to this podcast, okay. but I do have a family and I love them very much. <laughs> But no, I will be spending time with my family on Christmas as opposed to watching the new A24 movie that will probably suck the life out of me if it <laughs> goes according to how most A24 movies Yeah, are. it could be really hit or miss. Uh, there's some A24 films that are very family-oriented and yeah, some that the are Farewell not. Yeah, Farewell is a, a... Well, I guess Farewell is pretty sad, but... Uh, yeah, that's family-oriented. I would watch that with my family. Yeah, me too. I watch it with my yeah. family. Uh, cool. So we've covered the trailers that we want to cover. Yeah. We want to talk about some new releases. Yeah, I will say before... We jump into talking about the new releases. Uh, this time tomorrow, what time is it right now? It's like oh, it's well, it's past, like eight, well past that time. Okay, well, actually, the movie's pretty long, so we won't have finished it, but we'll have started it. So, twenty four hours from right now, Michael and I will be sitting in an IMAX theater watching Dune. The problem is, this episode will probably not come out until significantly after, or maybe like a week or so after Dune came out. Um, but what we're planning on doing, because we're both super excited about it, you just finished the book. Um, so Yesterday. Yeah, you've been prepping. Uh, we're both really excited about it, but since we're not going to be able to talk about it on a podcast episode, we're thinking about doing a quick like bonus episode that wouldn't be like a full yeah. produced episode. Just like recorded in one of our cars. Yeah, right out of the theater, because we'll, I mean, we're going with a few friends, so... Um, we're both really excited about the, this movie. We're really excited to talk to you about it. Yeah, and we're really excited to be seeing it in IMAX, even though it's like $20 a ticket. It is $20 a ticket. That's insane. It's really expensive, but it's it needs it needs a sequel, so I'm willing to do it for my boy, Denis. Uh, How many times are you going to see it? I don't think I'm going to be able to justify seeing it more than twice in IMAX. In IMAX, yeah. Uh, but you, I mean, I have it in 2D? In 2D? Well, that's what they call the non-IMAX versions. IMAX is not 3D. IMAX I know, is also 2D. Okay. but they still call it 2D. I would see it in non-IMAX. I don't know. If I was to do that, I'd probably just watch it on HBO Max. If yeah, I'm going to pay to see it, I'm going to pay to see it in IMAX. Wait, wait, wait. What's, uh, what's the size of your screen at home? Uh, Like 65 inches or something. Okay. Yeah, that's the same size that I have at, at my house. So. Okay, here we go. I'm not trying to measure anything. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just okay. curious. All right. <clears throat> so uh, just that's just a side note. So honestly that episode will probably come out before this one. So I don't even know why I've said this, but um, that's why we're not in this episode talking about October releases. <laughs> that's why we're not talking about Dune is because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So here you are in the future hearing about the past. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting place for us to be right now. I prefer so the present. To, that's a reference to something we'll talk about in a little bit. Oh gosh. Uh, all right. We're going to talk to you about Two new releases uh, in a non-spoilery way, and yeah. then one new release that probably nobody is ever going to see, and we'll just spoil the hell out of it. Yeah, just because we really want to, I especially really want to talk to Michael about it, but again, we've been saving it for the pod, because if we're going to talk about movies, we might as well do it on our movie podcast. Yeah. Kind of why we started it. So which one's first? There needs to be a quarter every time someone says the word pod on here. Like a quarter jar, like a cuss jar. Like a cuss I don't jar. have that many quarters. Is that a cuss? Is that a cuss? Which one's first? Uh, let's talk, let's go No Time to Die first. I, th- I have less to talk about with No Time to Die. 
Okay. We both went and saw No Time to Die, the new Jam- the last Daniel Craig James Bond movie. We saw that uh, with our buddy Mark. I'm slightly intimidated because as Sam. I was saying that, uh, Michael was pulling out a note card. So he has notes on No Time to Die. I just have what's in my brain. Uh, but I thought it was fine. My My background with James Bond is that I never grew up with it, was never really interested in it, but I think it might have been the trailer for No Time to Die like two years ago at this point that I was like, oh, that's a cool trailer. I should probably watch some Daniel Craig James Bond before the new one comes out. So like a year ago, I just started watching through them and I I was going at such a slow pace. I spent I finished Spectre the night before we saw No Time to Die. Um, they're kind of hit or miss for me. Even the ones that I liked the best, I don't love like, Casino Royale and Skyfall are my favorites, but I don't love either one of them. I just think they're they're pretty good. Um, Quantum of Solace, I think, is terrible, and Spectre, I think, is almost bad. I'd say it's it's fine, like it's it's acceptable as an action movie, but it's definitely nothing special. I think it kind of backtracked on what the franchise has been building with this like more grounded. Um, honestly more Nolan-esque world of James Bond where it wasn't as goofy and stuff and they kind of leaned back back into it while also trying to keep that same tone. I think it felt uneven at times. Um, You're talking about No Time to Die? I'm talking about Spectre. And then No Time to Die, I think, was, now that we're talking about No Time to Die, I think it was slightly better than Spectre. Um, uh, But I think it still had some of those weird moments where, like, it was was very, like, grounded and serious – think it, it handled that tonal inconsistency better than uh, Spectre did, but No Time to Die still had those weird moments where like he would throw out a like insanely cheesy one-liner. Like I can think of something at the end, towards the end, where he's like, oh, it really blew his mind. And if you know the context of it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So with this one, um, well, I guess – since you get, kind of gave your your background on the franchise, yeah. uh, I, I've never been a like diehard Bond fan. I've always kind of just enjoyed the cinema for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, it if you're talking about like serialized franchises, one of my favorites is like Hercule Poirot, which is absolutely is nothing the, to do. Um, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, Agatha Christie. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to like Ian Fleming and the Bond series, uh, it's not really my cup of tea, but I do recognize it, and uh, I, I know that this is the end of an era. So mm-hmm. this is Daniel Craig's last Bond film, and I think that that really um, they took the time in this movie to kind of honor that. Yeah, and, definitely. And, uh, I, I'll say that it's not my favorite movie of the year by any means yeah. but the the fact that like that came through like there was a purpose to this movie and, and I appreciated that yeah I agree I, I think um, again without getting into spoilers I do think with it being the closing of this era it, as someone who hasn't really cared about the Bond movies or felt that invested in the character I was surprisingly moved and felt the emotion really hit at mm. the end of the film um, and I definitely was just the way they handled the whole ending of the the film. I could definitely feel that there was like, oh, this, even though I haven't really cared about it, it's kind of sad that this 
era is ending, uh, which I, I I think is really admirable that that was effective for someone who hasn't really cared. Uh, I think what's really cool about the James Bond movies is um, even the ones that aren't great, except for Quantum of Solace, I think are made very well, like from a technical standpoint, whereas a lot of action movies today are just mostly shot on a green screen or in a soundstage or whatnot, which obviously you need that for some things. I think there's been a certain level of quality that the James Bond movies have been called to, uh, and that comes from doing things practically and actually going to different locations, and uh, I think it really comes across on the screen. It just feels like there's a higher level of skill behind the camera, at least to me. For sure. Um, And I really appreciate that. I feel the same way about um, the new Star Wars movies. I think even when they start to lean it, even the one ones that I don't like that much, um, I still appreciate that it seems like there's a lot of skill in terms of like cinematography, whereas I think a lot of mass-produced action movies, even Marvel movies, I think the cinematography is just so bland and not fun to watch, mm. whereas Star Wars, I'm like, okay, I feel like there's a, there's actual filmmakers that care behind the camera, and I think that definitely yeah. comes across. The there's something to like a, a filmmaker who's able to identify like okay this is this is a moment where people are supposed to care yeah and then they they figure out a way to make the communicate that care through the camera yeah so I guess to get a little more into just my review of No Time to Die so uh, like I, I mentioned before I know, I recognize this as a send off for Daniel Craig and I think that that it, it was very effective in that. Mm-hmm that um emotional tone yeah uh visually uh i, I found a lot of this movie stunning mm-hmm. uh, it was really fun to look at uh really well filmed action really well filmed action the uh none of those parts were boring to me the, the plot was really convoluted yeah so it was it was also for the amount of skill that was on on display technically and uh, things like that. I, I do think the story was super cliche. You know, you have that moment where they look at the computer and say, it's going worldwide. It's not just affecting this small community. Yeah. It's like, come on. I thought we were, we were past this yeah. in action movies. So, I mean, I'm, I'm here on this film club podcast and, and, uh, mm. my day job, I'm, I work in technology. And so whenever I see computer scenes like that, mm-hmm. it, it is really hard for me to suspend my disbelief. It's like, no, none of that's real. Yeah. And so I, I don't care. I don't understand what it is about movies that can't get just computer and smartphone interfaces right. Well, they funny. all look like so fake. Rami Malek is the, the villain. And I don't think he's a very effective villain here. No, he's in like five scenes. But he was also in Mr. Robot, which is like this... TV show that did a really good job of showing like this oh, is, is how computers actually work. Yeah, so I mean that's a show about like hacking and right. stuff, but that that just stars Rami Malek, so that that's a tangent that I won't go down. Right. Um, but as far as like uh, the the plot and his role here in this movie, I just did not think that that he really made that much sense. Like his motivations were really confusing. Yeah. Because. I couldn't tell you what they are right now. It, yeah, if you ask me. It, it was just he—he he was a, a character that was made to fit a Bond villain, mm-hmm. and not a he Bond looks villain like a Bond villain that actually had a character. Yeah, yeah. He's got the the typical like face disfigurement. Lives in a lair. Lives in a lair. Uh, has some 
penchant for world domination. No name army. Yeah. I, I do think, uh, from what I, I think it's a pretty forgettable movie, except for the fact that it's the end of an era and has some cool action. But I do remember for the first, probably it, it's absurdly long. We talked about this. It it's very long. I felt like I was in the theater for eight hours, it was but a it's a long time. I, I really, I, I remember being super into it for like the first third. I think the opening scene is great. Well, you remember why you were into it for the first third? I don't. Anna de Armas. She is, okay. So Anna de Armas. wasted her. She's, she's only in it for the first third. She's not even in it for the first third. She's in it for, in during the first third of the movie, towards the end of the first third, probably, she's in it for like, 15 minutes but she's advertised all over as like the new bond girl yeah she's she's basically in one sequence they lied to us yeah complete waste too because she's probably the most interesting character in the movie like she actually has personality um but yeah i thought the opening scene was great i was really on board for it the 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 entire first um probably 30 minutes of the movie felt a lot like casino royale to me um just in the way the story was moving um but yeah to mention Bond girl. There's also a new 007 uh, played by Oshana Lynch, and I thought, I I feel like there's this tendency, especially with filmmakers now, where they're like, oh, we need a strong female character. Let's make her super stern and hardened, and uh, have no emotion. But I really appreciated that she actually had a personality beyond. I'm a strong woman. I'm here to prove a point. Like she was actually a character, because um, yeah. I feel like that's a trap where oh, we need to make her tough, so let's make her super stern and basically end up being boring. But she was actually a, an interesting character. So, All right. Any closing thoughts on No Time to Die? Uh, if you like James Bond, you've probably already seen it by the time this podcast comes out. But uh, if you haven't, I'd say it's worth seeing if you like the Daniel Craig James Bond uh, movies. Um, it is long, but I, I'd say see it if you like if you like Daniel Craig Bond. Cool. Let's move on to The Last Duel. The Last Duel, which so, we I think we disagree a little bit on, but I think we both Yeah, we it. don't have to absolutely agree on absolutely everything. Right. But, uh, so Sam, you said that you think this might be your favorite 2021 release. Yeah, so we, we went and saw it. I drove Michael back to his house, and then I put the car in park, and I dropped the bomb on him, and I thought he was going to hit me in the head. Uh, he said... <laughs> I said I think this might have been might be my favorite movie release in 2021 so far, and you looked flabbergasted. Um, but you liked the movie, right? Well, so I was surprised that I, I'll be honest. Like I watched the trailer, and it's a good trailer, but it's like okay, I'll I'll, I'll see that movie just because it's Ridley Scott and you know Matt Damon and Adam Driver. I'm yeah. a big fan of Adam Driver. So yeah. The the thing that really surprised me was Jodie Comer. Yeah, she's so good. So she stole the whole freaking movie. Yeah. Uh, that that was what made me really love that movie was... Oh, love. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Uh, I, I had a... I mean, I don't... Okay, I don't, I, 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 I don't, don't give a four star to just any movie, bro. Okay, but you do give five stars away, like hot cakes. Do I? Anyway, so <laughs> I... Uh, we came out of the movie... Uh, I, I, I loved it pretty much. Uh, I don't think it's like a 10 out of 10 or anything. Um, but it did feel a lot like Ridley Scott going back to like the gladiator days. Like if it, it, 
in good ways and bad ways, it feels like it could have come out in the early 2000s. I, I told Michael, I think Ridley Scott's cinematography uh, can come off as dated sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he yeah, used... You mentioned that. Because, uh, I, I, like, in Prometheus, I think, from what I remember, the cinematography is great, but um, I don't know if he used a different cinematographer here, but... It, Wait, he did Prometheus? Yeah. So, from what I know, Ridley Scott will sometimes shoot, like, three, four, five cameras at the same time, which is unheard of, but that's how he's able to shoot his movies so fast. Um, but I, I'm wondering if that's um, compromising the actual dynamics of the visuals because sometimes things can come off very flat and so when you're watching a dialogue scene between two people and like a i don't know a inside a castle where the walls are gray sometimes just it, it, i can visually it can become boring but mm-hmm. um i think a huge plus was that i this is also a two and a half hour long movie um, medieval epic. Yeah, epic and I was definitely the word. And I was never bored. I was interested the entire time, and I completely forgot that there was a duel that was the entire <laughs> thing the movie was marketed around is, oh, come see Adam Driver and Matt Damon duke it out, and I'm directed by the guy who directed Gladiator. But I, the movie was so investing for the first two hours and ten minutes that I completely forgot that there was a duel coming. So when I started to remember that, I was like, oh, snap. I'm also about to get to see a really cool sword fight. Yeah, I think uh, both of our reaction was like we came away from it. Uh, neither of us was ever really bored. We were engaged the whole time. Which is Which is a sign crazy. of a, a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with that, like the, so the, the format for this movie is that they, they tell – uh, similar stories, but from the perspective of a particular character. Yeah. And so the first character, uh, the first part is from Matt Damon's character. And then the second is from Adam Driver's character. And the third finally being from Jodie Comer's. Yeah. And, um, so you see different variations. You're basically kind of watched the events of the movie three times. Mm-hmm. I would say more two times because Jodie Comer isn't in a lot of the scenes that, um, Adam Driver and Matt Damon are in. So you kind of, when you get to her perspective, you're a lot of times seeing completely new scenes. Um, but you are essentially seeing the same events three different times, but told sometimes really differently and sometimes just like slight changes. Um, but yeah. I thought it was really effective. Very effective. Uh, but even that, even then, we, we I think we both still kind of had a, a little bit of criticism. So yeah. the... The content of the story here is that uh, Jodie Comer plays a woman who was married to uh, some man. I, I can't remember. Was he a knight? He Well, he was knighted eventually, but he was, um, what did they call it? A uh, squire. He was a squire before. Maybe, Him and Adam Driver were, were friends and they're they squires. They were friends. And then uh, Adam Driver's character... Come, comes to their castle one day when well he's accused the, when the Lord and everybody else is gone and yeah. uh, uh, rapes Jody Carmer's character uh, and and so that all that happens and yeah there's yeah. an accusation because Adam Driver remembers it a very specific way and that that comes out through the way that his story is told. Yeah, and then obviously Jodie Comer, who made the accusation, remembers it very differently. So that is also, if you haven't seen the trailer, or don't know anything about the movie, that is the whole um, 
that that's what the movie's framed around is you see that's why there's a duel is because they're trying one there's an accusation one person says it happened the other person says it didn't so to settle it they're going to fight to the death but they're not just fighting the the outcome of the fight isn't just that one of them will die and whoever wins is yeah fun it. thing about french law is <laughs> if you're the woman accusing a man of rape and then you are found uh the person fighting for it, you it, loses it, yeah so if somebody then says that they'll fight you know to the duel death duel to the death and then they they lose then you as a woman are burned to the death Horribly. and uh and then it's painstakingly noted in the movie yeah. like by the way uh, women who who succumb to this t- type of death, it takes twenty to thirty minutes for them to die. Yeah, so it's it it's not always an easy watch um, for sure. There's definitely some scenes. There's a scene in a court that has made me and Michael very uncomfortable. Um, but um, I think it's for me. It was very effective. Uh, I felt a lot for Jodie Comer's character, um, and I think what that's telling the story three different ways made me feel like I knew every single facet of this scenario. Um, but there is, I, I th- it's hard to say that uh, uh, assault scene is done tastefully because obviously it is what it is, but for what it is, I think it was done pretty tastefully. Um, but that being said, because of the structure of the movie, we do see it multiple times. Um, and I think Michael and I agree that you did not need to see it the second time uh, because it's also not a short scene. It's it's a probably a five, six, seven-minute long scene, and it's not fun to watch. Um, again, it's not super graphic um, hmm. in terms of the visuals, but... Yeah, so to be clear, I think we were talking about this, the, the rape scene. Yeah. Uh, as far as, like... How how I would have shot it? I think that that maybe I wouldn't. I would have cut away uh, the first time because, uh, and this is maybe a little bit more of a spoilery gray area because obviously Adam Driver's character denies the allegations, yeah. uh, and so his rationalization whenever he remembers what happened, he's like, "Well, she made the usual, the customary uh, protestations." It's like, "Well, okay, so." That's like the family guy joke. It's like 50 no's and then a yes is still a yes. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't ignore the 50 no's that took you to get to that yes. Yeah. Um, so I think that that having, having the rape scene, uh, it, you're right, it wasn't graphic or anything. And so there's not like any real... Um, real concern as far as the imagery uh, in my mind, but it is still like a thing that's depicted on screen. And it, it makes sense that there's like a subtle difference between the way that this, that the depictions are laid out uh, because the way that Adam driver remembers it. Yeah. Like she just stops really having a voice in the scene at all. Um, And then when Jodie Comer remembers it, when her character remembers it, uh, like the whole time, she's just like very vocal yep. and you know, obviously not into what's happening. I think that's part of why it was. Um, I don't know if it was necessary to show the full thing twice, is because really, aside from her reaction, the scene is pretty much exactly the same. Mm. Um, I agree with you here. I mean, we're sitting here 
talking about how Ridley Scott should have directed his movie, <laughs> Ridley Scott. Um, but we I agree. two dudes on a podcast. Because of the way the story is framed and the way that um, Adam Driver's character in the movie is portrayed to certain things uh, don't really matter to him in terms of like what she thinks about a certain thing doesn't matter. It's what he wants. I think you're right. It probably would have been effective to maybe have the beginning of the scene play out from his perspective and then maybe see the end of it, him leaving. Um, and then if you were going to show the scene at all, show the full thing f- when you're in her perspective and just show how terrifying uh, that is and just like sit in that moment and have to experience every second of it from her perspective and her desperately begging for him to not do this. Um, I think that would have been super effective instead of showing it twice. Um, I don't, it doesn't drag the movie down that much for me. I just think, um, narratively that's the biggest issue I have with the movie. Um, but other than that, I think it's really great, super effective storytelling. Um, I mean, if we're going to talk about the duel, then it's the movie, the title is the last duel. The duel is great. It's super intense. Uh, you feel the sound design's great. You feel every single hit when they're charging at each other with lances and they burst into their shields. Like you, it just feels like everything in the world is breaking. Uh, so I think that was super effective. I, we did both agree also, uh, on a side note that this movie has probably the worst fake pregnancy belly Mm. I've ever seen. Like if I stuffed a pillow under my shirt right now, it would look better than this like thing was bouncing up and down when this lady was walking away. Yeah, there's a woman just walking around with a balloon. Yeah, it was dress. terrible. I'm like, you're ri- this is you have a this is a medieval epic. I'm sure you have a pretty sizable budget. You can't just yeah, stick like a bowl under so there. So many moments where I was just like amazed. Was like, oh wow, they, <laughs> they spent all this time like recreating th- this culture and and how things were done back then. And then yeah, there's just a a, a pregnant. Pregnant air be- air air balloon belly. Yeah, it's uh, it was not um, at all like fitting with the 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 aesthetic that was going on, and so it was just stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, but yeah, Jodie Comer, incredible. She's definitely she was in a show, Killing Eve, which I haven't heard of, but uh, or uh, which I haven't seen, but I've heard that that was her breakout role, and um, I think that's what Ridley Scott saw and cast. That's why he cast her in this. Um, she was also in the new Ryan Reynolds movie, Free Guy, which is a completely different movie, but mm-hmm. she plays basically two roles in that movie, and she kills it. Okay. Um, yeah, this is my first Jodie Comer, so yeah, I'll be she's looking gonna out be, for her and, and things to come. Yeah, I think she's going to blow up. She was great. All so right. I, I, I would say it's my favorite film of the year so far. Again, we're seeing Dune tomorrow, so I expect that – I'm hopeful that that's going to be broken because okay. I have unbelievably high expectations for Dune, but as of right now, I, I think it's great. I think people should go see it. And once again, if you're listening to this, this is probably well after we've watched Dune and have probably released a special episode talking about it. Yeah. And you can right now go look at our letterbox and you can probably find out what we thought about Dune. <laughs> uh, okay. So the last movie that I wanted to talk about, Sam. What is it? It's, uh, I can't remember. Is it Vald- Valdemir Johansson? I don't know. The Icelandic you, director? You tell me. So it's a. This is a 2020, 2021 release. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a 2021 release. This is not my favorite of the year so far. 
But really? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's still um, an interesting one. This was this is lamb. Yeah. So this is the point where like we've reached No Time to Die, huge huge action movie. It's James Bond. It's mainstream. Last Duel apparently bombed at the box office because I guess no one wants to go see a two and a half hour medieval epic, um, which I guess makes sense, but uh, still relatively mainstream. But now we're getting into a little more obscure. So we're going to try and we're going to talk for uh, a couple minutes. No spoilers, just to tell you, like, give you a little sense of the movie and whether you should see it or not, if it's something that would interest you. Um, And then we'll give a fair warning and say, we're going to go into spoilers because we've held off talking about it. It's a very, it'll spark a lot of discussion, Okay, um, but we've held so off talking about it. And I think so. a good way to start then, Sam, is can I ask you, can you tell me what happens in this movie? So, uh, I just rewatched the trailer, so I'm going to try not to reveal more than the trailer reveals. That's fair. Um, so basically this couple, is it, it's Icelandic, right? Yes. So there's this couple on a remote farm in Iceland. Um, they have a bunch of sheep. Uh, and at one point, we kind of see for the first few minutes of the movie kind of their lives as farmers, I guess mm-hmm. is what they would they, they sheep are. Sheep herders. Yeah, sheep herders, farmers. Uh, they live a nice, quiet life. They kinda, they'll like go and do their farming duty, and they'll come inside, they'll watch a movie, wind down have a pretty good life. They go out one day and their one of the their lambs is giving birth, so they're delivering the new newborn baby lamb. And uh the trailer plays it the same way the movie does, which is you're they don't show you what comes out. You're like it's clear that they're delivering a baby lamb. And then you can tell they pull the baby out and you hear a weird mix between a lamb like whatever like bleeding or whatever that sound is that they make. But then you're also like, was that a baby crying? (laughs) And then you see them taking care of the lamb Mm -hmm. in a baby crib and they're feeding it out of a bottle. And you're like, okay, maybe there's complications. They're just like trying to get it back on its feet before they put it out outside again in the barn. At this point, you've only seen a lamb head, right? Yeah. You just see the lamb head sticking out of the swaddle or whatever. And then as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, this is not just a lamb. There's yeah, so something some point, slightly it, even human Even in the here. trailer, you see like the lamb takes like a humanoid form, is wearing clothes. Yes. So there is now a lamb child in their life named Ada. 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 A-D-A. A-D-A. So we can say Ada. Ada. Okay. That's like the American pronunciation. Okay. So then... Then now they're living their life with a goat child. Yeah. A lamb child. Super interesting movie. Yeah. It's super short. It is. It's a 96 minute runtime, 93, something like that. So uh, as far as films go, like it's not too much of a commitment. The way that I would describe it, which maybe differs a little bit from the marketing. uh, So... Uh, I've seen the marketing talk about this movie as atmospheric, and they've also described it as a fairy tale. And I, I don't disagree with those words. I think that when it comes to understanding the story on the whole, there's some sort of mythological yeah. characteristic to this story. These people do not react how we would react if we saw 
a, so, a lamb mixed with a human I think child. A lot there's of something the, off. Yeah, there, there, there's something to the what you're you're getting at there, which um, we might need to save for spoiler discussion. But so, uh, as as far as keeping this discussion spoiler free, I think that the the way that this movie builds tension is um, through embracing absurdity, and because yep. I mean it's a pretty absurd thing yeah. to deliver a hybrid uh, a hybrid. Uh, human lamb child especially when the entire time you're react you're waiting for this couple to react and be like what in the world's going on and they don't they're just kind of like all right there's this is our new baby and it's like huh there's a there's a lamb mixed in there so i think that i disagree with you a little bit i think when they deliver the lamb there is definitely yeah, a, okay. a, a visible reaction on their faces yeah like there, there's a big question mark okay yeah you're right yeah. but with the way that the movie reveals more about their background and where they came from, and their their personal histories with each other, and the tragedies that they've faced before, you know, the events that we see on screen, um, it makes sense that they would respond the way that they did when you take the whole context. Because yeah. uh, by the end, like, they... You've got one character, or you've got the mom defending, you know, this this lamb right. child, and she's saying, Ada's a gift." Yeah, uh, and she's like here for a reason. Yeah. Okay. And so let's. I think that's about as far as we can go before we start talking about spoilers, because now I'm just ready to talk about it. Okay. Uh, so I will say spoilers. Not yet, not yet. I will say if you're wondering, should you go see it if you haven't seen it yet? Uh, if you're into like weird films, I will say. This is the best cinematography of the year for me. I'd, I loved looking at it. It was so good. Even when it was... Because there, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, especially for the first... I don't know. You've seen it twice. Is it like the first half or so, first third? Yeah, there's very sparse. Terse. Yeah, so... Uh, but what kept... I, I won't say I was never bored. It was more that like there were times where I was like, okay, is this going to go somewhere? But I was never completely tuned out because it looks amazing. The landscape's great. I, I'll I'll say I think this is maybe the best use of animals I've ever seen in a movie. The way they're photographed, the way they react within the frame, makes it feel like every time there's an animal on screen, there's a there, so there's all the sheep, and then there's a cat and there's a dog, and every time the camera is on one of those animals, I'm like I'm locked in it. And I'm like, okay, this is very important. I think it's very interesting how the animals react in the movie also. Um, yes, it's like the cat and the dog are also characters yeah. in the story. Yeah, and so, so sometimes there's, the there's camera— There's really only like four or five characters because there's the pets. There's Ada, yeah, uh, the mom and the dad, and, and then the brother. Yeah. And then— And then something else. So there's—but <laughs> yeah, so every time the camera would would— decide to follow like the cat around for a little bit or the dog. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I love this. Um, kind of going off that, I think for the first, like the opening of the movie before it, because the movie is split into chapters, um, before the first chapter title card comes up, there's like kind of a prologue to the movie. Um, and I was like, this is going to be my favorite movie of the year. Like it, I was so engaged it was exactly the tone I was expecting from the trailer. Um, shot um, incredibly 
the t- there was so much tension. Mm-hmm. The the opening is amazing. I love the opening. Um, I there's a lot I love about the movie. A lot of it being the cinematography and those little moments of that really dark and atmospheric tone. Um, but it's not something that you're just going to be like, oh, I'll put I'll throw on Lamb like for a fun <laughs> watch. Uh, it's because it, it's watch. it's super. It's very slow. Um, it's honestly really um, bare bones in terms of plot. You're yeah, kind of just watching a family a, hang out. This is a minimalist director. Yeah. If I've ever ever wanted to ascribe that term to anybody, this is this is the guy. Yeah. So it's it's kind of just people hanging out, and then something kind of weird happens, and then I'd say there's a little bit more at the end that maybe leans into more of what the trailer was offering. Yeah, we won't re- ruin the whole movie. Yeah. So unless you want to say something else, I'm good to go into spoilers now. Uh, I feel like we'd we'd already crossed that threshold. Okay, so we we've we've given probably a little bit more than we should have, but now we're going full blown spoilers. So this is the rest of the podcast will be us talking about Lamb. So if you haven't seen it or you don't want to hear the discussion, thanks for what thanks for listening up until this point. Yeah, see you now later. we're gonna go into spoilers. Okay. Did you you said that that you had some questions? Yeah. So um, first thing that I uh, well I will say. So I did, I'm still not sure what I would give the movie in terms of like a star rating. I think I liked it. Um, I think it would have worked really great as a short story or as if there was like an anthology series, like a mini series, like 45 minute long episodes, this would have been a great like 45 minute thing where it's like, oh, this weird thing happened. I think there would have been a lot less of the kind of just, watching them hang out and experience this weird thing. Uh, But I don't know. I'm going to hear more from you. But I do think it's interesting because there is so little dialogue, especially for the first little bit before the brother shows up, that it really makes it feel like every every conversation they have must be really important and have something to do with the plot. And I remember them talking about, towards the beginning, might be the first conversation in the movie, talking about the... uh, time travel and talking about how we might be able to go forwards. We might be able to go backwards. And then the, uh, that is a very instructive scene. So yeah. that's what I thought, but this might be me looking too far into it. And this might be because I love tenant so much is the fact that Ada is a palindrome have anything to do with that. No, you no. just, okay. For the so, audio listeners, Michael just rolled his eyes at me <laughs> despite having seen this movie twice. All right. So the, I think the, the, the real meaning to draw from that conversation. So this is the husband and wife. This is before they have gotten Ada, which is the lamb child. It's mm-hmm. before you, uh, if you're, if this is your first time watching the movie have learned that, this is a couple who lost a child at some point in, in the past. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't sound like this This was a child that grew up beyond being a baby. Right. And this child was also named Ada. Yeah. And so the first conversation between this couple being about time travel, a, a husband and wife at a table, and it looks like they're both eating breakfast. So the husband comments, looks like they've figured out time travel or time travel is possible. Yeah. He's like reading a newspaper, uh, right? And, and so the, the real difference between these characters is that the husband says, well, I'm not in any rush to see the future because he's thinking about going to the future. Hmm. And the wife says something about the past where 
So right there, there's this recognition of these two characters and their, I don't know if this is a word, dynamacy, um, but one of them moves towards the future and one of them stuck in the past. Well, he's stuck in the present, right? He, he just said he wants to stay in the present. But he said that, yeah, he's happy in the here and now. Yeah. So that 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 is just like, hey, you're my wife. I love you. I'm here. I'm still here with you. So you think she's like, I'm ready for another kid? I, I think that there's a reason why there's that they both, whenever Ada finally comes, Ada the lamb child finally comes, there's a reason why there's a cutaway where the husband is like upset. Walking in, oh, oh in, yeah. in the tractor and like having a moment is because he's just now realizing what this actually means for his wife, which is that she's able to like get over this long standing grief that she's had that yeah. he might so, not be able to under. From understand. what I remember when the, when Ada is born, it almost seems like the wife has more of a look of curiosity or like apprehension or something. Whereas maybe not apprehension, but she doesn't seem necessarily like, frightened of it or she's just interested to me and then he was like kind of apprehensive about it and it seemed like for the first few scenes where ada was where they were like nursing ada and things like that that he was kind of still a little standoffish yeah yeah yeah. that's what it seemed like to me and so but then kind of off screen he become he's like oh no i'm cool with it that's where this movie is interesting because this is a movie that that explores this the, this thin line between like what is it to be animal, yeah, and what is it to be human? Because mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the movie, and this is definitely a spoiler, uh, goat man. The there's a big goat man. In yeah, it. a big goat man is apparently the one responsible for Ada. Yeah, because uh, you hear heavy breathing in the beginning, you feel like you're POV of something. Probably not human, and then you find out it's this goat creature. Yeah, so Goatman comes back after his sheep wife has been murdered. Yeah. Uh, so that you know this human couple can keep their their lamb child. Uh, so Goatman kills the husband and takes Ada, and then that's that's kind of the end for Ada. And then the movie actually ends with the wife finding the body of her husband, not understanding what's happened, and she's just alone. Was there a moment at the end where she, it almost seemed like her, because she was like pretty much having a mental breakdown, and then it kind of seems like, I think it goes into a close-up, and it almost seems like she forgets about the fact that her husband died for a little bit, and she gets this... It takes a long time. She gets a certain look in her face that isn't grief. Yeah, after after like finding the body and then being like that that once that happens, that's the end of the movie is, is when she finds the body. Yeah. So everything that happens after that is just this really long moment. It's like what happens after a wife finds her husband, and I, I think where this movie is believable and is like powerful is that this is a wife who hasn't faced death for the first time. Like this isn't her first foray into to like overwhelming grief. Yeah, she lost a child, and uh, so Numi Numi Rapace, that's the yeah. actress here. She's incredible. I yeah. think that that what she brought to this role was something absolutely like um, 
just transcendent of film. It's like a very, very human thing that she did on screen. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely felt for me when Goatman did show up that it was like, this is an eye for an eye. Like, Mm -hmm. you killed my wife and took my child, so I'm going to kill your husband and take your child. Take take my my child child back. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think the way we both felt walking out of the movie and how I still kind of feel is that, like, I just don't know that this story is enough to be told uh, in a movie. It is. I, There's like, enough there. I feel like I need to rewatch it, but I also don't have like a huge. Well, yeah. So at the it. end of it, you you posted on Letterbox. You said you don't know if you you need to rewatch it, and I I was compelled enough that I went back and rewatched it myself. Yeah. Um, I think that on a second rewatch, I got a lot more out of it, and it's less terse than I originally thought. Uh, that that being that there's there's more that it's saying than I was actually paying attention to the first time that I watched it. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, is there a reason why? So I'm, I'm there. I mentioned to you at one point a few days ago there was that shot of the husband walking across the field. It's like a medium shot with the dog. Yeah, with the dog. But the background is it's it looks like he's walking on a treadmill. And is that is that a visual metaphor for him? not wanting to move ahead and him well, living in the present uh, or past or whatever. Hold on. Is that the beginning or the end of the film? Um, Cause there's one I think where it's he's like, like towards the middle. He, so it, there's a, a kind of a wider shot of him and the dog walking. There's a mountain in the background. Then it cuts into like a medium of just him walking, but the background, there's no parallax at all. The background's not yeah. moving, but he's, it looks like he's walking in place. So that, that, shot happens immediately after a shot of his wife in the tractor and when she's uh in the tractor the camera is moving with her it's the background is moving around yeah so it's it's locked more onto the motion of the tractor whereas the camera and this shot that you're talking about is locked on the husband and so yeah the, the the mountains are so far off it doesn't look like they're moving it looks like he's not making any progress i need to uh, look and i because i'm convinced just because like I've done stuff with cameras enough that, like, if you move it at all, there's going to be parallax. I'm convinced that he is walking on, like, a treadmill. So that's just me wanting to see the behind the scenes of it. But I'm not convinced. It's a cool visual Because I know that metaphor. those are huge mountains in Iceland. Okay. But, uh, but uh, it is definitely, like, a visual metaphor that I think kind of shows where those characters are going in the movie. And what do you think the purpose of that, like, it might be one shot of him clearly in the past running up and yelling his daughter's name. Oh, okay. So I think you're misremembering that. Uh, is that not? It's So the reason that you think that's in the past is because the dog is there. Yeah. And I remember you saying after the movie that... The dog should have already been dead. You, you, you thought the dog was already dead. But when I rewatched it, that happens before the dog is dead on screen. Ah. Uh, so but that, that doesn't fit. That it doesn't scene doesn't fit. fit. It still doesn't fit. So I, I think that you're right in that that's a scene from the past. I think that that's maybe a scene of the dad... Some uh, there was some accident some, with the daughter. Yeah, some accident with the their human daughter, their their first daughter. Okay. Uh, but that's not something that they tell us in the movie. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it again at some point. I don't think I'll pay to see it in a theater. If it shows up on a streaming service or if it's really cheap to rent, I'll, I might watch it again. Um, but I'm not like in a rush. But I, I did. It's definitely enjoy a fun it. one to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and we're really glad that we were able to talk about it today on Jackson Film Club, the podcast. Yeah. So, Sam, 
If someone wants to follow or find out more inf- information about Jackson Film Club, where do they go? Well, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, which that will be uh, at Jackson Film Club, JXN Film Club on Instagram. And then uh, if they want to sign up for our newsletter, where do they do that, Michael? They go to Jackson Film Club online. That's jxnfilm.club. That is a website. You can go there and sign up for our mailing list. Yeah, you usually access that via computer or cell phone. Yeah, you put it into the web browser. Awesome. Well, this has been a blast. I think uh, I I really like talking about movies with you, man. I like talking about movies with you too, Sam. Cool. So cute. All right. Well, that's all, folks. (laughs) 